1: it's the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession
0: of with full custodial, full custodial
1: rights. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking of Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can provide you with the information you need to succeed and persist. Back with another episode. And I got Matt Hill here from Start9, and I'm truly fascinated about what they got going on over there at Start9. And I think this is going to be a great conversation, not only for myself, but for y'all, the listeners, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, just to give a little intro to the uh, the listeners. So um, I have uh, heard a, a, of the Embassy Suite OS and, and Start9 for a while now. But my ignorance, I wasn't able to really discern what separated you guys from, let's just say, you know, just having a Raspberry Pi note that most Bitcoiners have. Um, so I kind of just put it on the back burner and said, okay, you know, somewhere down the road I'll get with them. Now, fast forward to about a few weeks ago when I saw you talking over at um Austin Bitcoin Club and the Bitcoin Commons, um, literally my mind was just like filled with thoughts and filled with ideas on where, you know, we can go with what you guys got going on, but just being sovereign in general. So before we get into what you guys uh proclaim as sovereign computing. Um, can you just let the listeners know a little bit about yourself and your background?
0: Uh, yeah, sure thing. Um, oh boy, uh, that's a broad question. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, I am um, a technologist. I, I believe that um, many of the world's most important and pressing issues can be solved uh, by technology. I'm not against alternative ways of, of solving problems. Uh, I think that, you know, it's good to hit everything from every angle that you can uh, including politi- direct political action, um, you know, changing, uh, monetary, uh, policy, uh, education, you name it. But I personally fight on the, on the technology front. I believe that it affords uh, great leverage, uh, over, uh, you know, uh, effective change. So, um, that's, that's what I do. I'm, I'm a software developer by trade. Um, I co-founded start nine with, with a couple of other, uh, devs and, um, we have been in business now for three years. Um, we believe that the essential missing ingredient of a, we'll call it, free, open, and sovereign computing paradigm, um, where humans and computers are uh, kind of made for each other, with other humans sitting in between, kind of, you know, um, usurping that power. Uh, we believe that the, the primary missing component was was um, an operating system. Uh, similar to like a Windows or Mac OS, that uh, enabled uh, an average person, non-technical person, to run and operate their own personal server and essentially cut out third-party middlemen uh, from their entire computing life and and take full control over their data uh, communications channels. Um, and so we identified that uh, as really the given our skill sets and backgrounds. Um, we identified that as the most effective high leverage activity that we as individuals could do to try to reform the world in the way that we want it to be. Um, I could probably devote my energy in a lot of different places, but this in particular, was a place where I felt like I could be effective. Um, and that's what we do as a company.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. now for the the naive out there, for just not naive, for the ones that are just not aware. Why is it so important to, um, just for better use of the term, take your approach as opposed to the typical, you know, use Windows or use Google, uh, that approach? Because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, you know, I got a MacBook and my MacBook runs Mac OS
0: and it works perfectly fine. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's about being independent, right? So inter- everything is intermediated, right? All, all basically all digital communications, are uh, intermediated by a third party um, and all digital data um, is custodied by a third party, right? Almost nothing that you do on any one of your computers, whether it's a laptop, desktop or cell phone uh, is not custodied and intermediated.
1: Hmm.
0: So what? Right? That's the essence of your question is who cares? Who cares if everything is custodied and intermediated? Um, nobody. If the intermediary and custodian um, is 100% competent and benevolent forever, (laughs) which is an absurd concept, right? It's like saying, what's wrong with um, being a spoon-fed child for your whole life? And the answer is nothing, as long as the spoon and the food keep coming and they're always good and they're always what you want and there's no possibility that you'll ever need to feed yourself. Um, in other words, it's fine for a childlike dependent human being to rely on custodians and intermediaries for their basic needs. But it is not okay for an adult and a free thinking uh, society to rely on third parties for their basic needs. Um, so that's what we do is we make it possible for a non-technical non-rich, because that's basically who this was available to prior to what, to us and what we're doing. Um, it was available to highly technical people or rich people who could afford to hire highly technical people. Um, we make it now possible for anyone to uh, exclude trusted third parties from their digital life wholesale. We're not talking about just taking custody of your Bitcoin via private keys and cold storage. I'm talking about having conversations, text message conversations with a loved one who's on the other side of the world so that not only can nobody see what you're saying, but nobody even knows that the conversation is happening. Mm. In order to have that kind of a conversation prior to our technology, you would have been very hard pressed. You would have had to be very technical and have a lot of time and patience to set up that kind of technological infrastructure. Um, so we've we've sort of leveled the playing field by making it possible for everyone else.
1: Yeah, and that seems like a, a, a it is a very large uh, hill to climb there. So, um, you know, early on when you guys were thinking about you know taking this approach and making it much easier, because I do agree that if you're not technical and you don't understand how servers work or how the internet works, just to be more general, uh, this is uh, this is a pipe dream in, in this situation. So when you guys took that on. How did you feel that you were going to be able to to um, get one of these devices to people that are so stricken on convenience that they may not even want to pay attention to what you guys are trying to solve here? Because I do agree with you that you know it's very important in the example you gave for conversations to be private and to you know technically be off the grid completely, um, but. It's, it's another problem to basically get people to believe convenience in order to to take your route. So did you guys think that that was going to be an issue for you? Is that an issue that you guys face every day? It is. Our, it is the issue. Um, issue. The
0: battleground is convenience um, because, you know, just like people are willing to sacrifice freedom for safety, mm. uh, people are also willing to sacrifice freedom for convenience. And um, that's not like something that we go out and criticize people for. Uh, it is a very natural thing. Like you, you have only so much time, energy and attention to devote to anything in your life. And so everyone is doing their own internal risk assessment 24, seven, 365. And to date, that risk assessment has been, you know, it's, it's okay that Google has my emails, that Apple was listening to my conversations. Like, I I don't feel that pain. It doesn't hit my wallet. It doesn't hit my freedom. Like this is all theoretical boogeyman shit, right? Like it's not actually hurting me on a daily basis. And that is why uh, everyone has conceded this battle and has sort of given up and and utilized intermediaries and custodians is because the pain hasn't been there. Um, The pain is coming. Mm. Right, we, we see the outsized costs that have been kicked down the road and buried for decades. Uh, it's just like a financial system that relies on, on fiat for its currency. You, it might be fine for a while, so long as the people printing the money are printing it uh, responsibly and distributing it fairly. Um, but over time... Corruption is inevitable. Centralized systems are like fruits. They corrupt invariably. They have to. It's part of their nature. It might not be a single individual within that institution, but each new generation comes in with and adds additional corruptibility to the system. So it is only a matter of time before centralized systems that have, quite frankly, custody and power over the lives of individuals will become corrupt abuse that power and ultimately the the end user, the citizen, the individual pays that price. Um, So what we're doing is we're ahead of the game. (laughs) We are building tools uh, for um, exiting, right? We view ourselves as opt-out technology, as striking technology, and everyone has their different breaking points, right? So some of your Bitcoiners and anarchists and libertarians, their breaking point has already passed. They're already ready to begin adopting technology that costs a bit of convenience, but delivers on privacy, freedom, and sovereignty. Um, And so our job as a company is twofold when it comes to garnering Uh, mass adoption, widespread adoption. One is to make our product, our technology as familiar and convenient as humanly possible, right? To minimize what we call the convenience gap, uh, convenience parity. And unfortunately, or not just a fact of reality, we will never get to full convenience parity. We can only asymptotically approach it but we can't ever reach it because the other model is in essence somebody saying we'll do it for you and our model is in essence you'll do it yourself and so while we can make doing it yourself increasingly easy right increasingly familiar to the other model it can never be the other model in essence you're going to have to take some tiny degree of personal responsibility if you wanna be free. And so our goal is to minimize that, to make it as easy as possible. Our second goal is to educate everyone on the um, the worsening conditions to which they are being subjected in their digital lives. Right. A lot of people just aren't aware of how bad it has become. The practices around surveillance, uh, data collection, invasion of privacy, Um, they're just not aware. So our job in large part is not to fear monger. We're not out telling everyone, you know, they're going to die tomorrow. If you don't get a personal server, you're not, but we are being honest that if you don't start taking measures to take control over your digital life, you are increasingly, um, you're increasing the amount of risk uh, in your life. And to those uh, who are in your life, your loved ones, your children, because if you get hacked, then they get hacked. And it, it it's not just you, all right? You're part of a, a social digital circle. And if anybody in that circle becomes compromised, then it can lead to a domino effect. So um, number three, and this is not a goal of ours, this is a hypothesis of ours, is right. that the world is going to continue playing into our narrative. So we need to build products that are increasingly convenient We need to provide education that is increasingly effective, but mostly we need to wait (laughs) for the (laughs) world to continue to deteriorate as more and more people reach their breaking point. And when they do, we will be here welcoming them with open arms as they exit the centralized fiat custodied intermediated system and into our self-hosted sovereign individual world.
1: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. That's a great great three points there because, yeah, I think, like you said a little while back, um, the pain comes to people at different levels, whether it's, you know, their personal photo album got hacked or whether it's, you know, a- anything that that leads to censorship resistant. Uh, maybe they said something uh, over a text messaging platform and eventually got fired for it and lost their job. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, although these may be like, you know... Um, You know, small little examples here eventually just starts to magnify in a world that's increasingly just becoming more censored, is what we're seeing here all over our
0: timelines. The the biggest one is the one we haven't seen yet that we are only just now starting to see. I don't think there was ever a future where we were going to rely on values of privacy, censorship, resistance and independence was ever going to lead to mass adoption. Unfortunately, I've drawn that conclusion over the last few years (laughs) as I've been increasingly disappointed with my fellow men. But here's one thing that everyone gets on board with. Even if you don't give a crap about being an adult and being independent, everyone cares about cost. Everyone. Our model is ultimately, not yet today, but ultimately will be significantly cheaper to maintain than the other model because there's no middleman. Any business that cuts out a middleman is ultimately saving costs. And here, the only reason that the middlemen are able to simultaneously make a ton of money and provide a free product is because they have productized you, right? It's a very common phrase that if you're not paying for the products, you are the product. And the way that they were able to do that was essentially by spying on you, collecting your data, and then selling it to the highest bidder what has happened is twofold. One, people are beginning to wake up to this and say, no, they're starting to turn on privacy settings. They're starting to use VPNs. And two, as people have woken up to this, politicians have responded by putting pressure and making laws such that um, data providers, service providers of digital services can't just willy-nilly collect your data and sell it out the back door. They actually have to ask you first if they can collect it. And more and more people are saying no to those practices. So what's happening here is a the dominant revenue stream that these big companies and, and service providers relied upon for this sort of um, have your cake and eat it too approach to making a fortune uh, which is give away a free product but somehow make a ton of money at the same time, that um, hypocrisy is going away. That that opportunity is going away. Um, and so the only way that they are going to be able to backfill those revenues is to crank up the subscriptions. So we predict and we have already begun to see that pretty much every piece of software you use in your life is increasingly moving towards a freemium uh, paid subscription model where the free tier is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and the paid tiers are getting steeper and steeper and steeper. Um, so that in the near future, within the next decade, we predict that nearly every single piece of software on any of your computers, every app that you use will in some way be a recurring revenue uh, subscription model. And we are then able to come in and say, instead of owning nothing and being happy about it, (laughs) you can buy a computer, a server that belongs truly in a full property way to you as a one-time capital cost, and then never pay for software for the rest of your life. And there's no middlemen or custodians. So it is a win-win-win across the board. It pleases the privacy advocates, censorship resistance, and it also wins on cost.
1: That's an amazing outlook at, the, at what's coming. Um, that, I didn't even think about it in that way where you're right. Everything just seems to end up being a subscription and there's no benefit there for you because you end up paying, but you're still being preyed upon when it comes to your information and your data. So it's actually worse because instead of being free and getting your data harvested, you're not paying for the pleasure <laughs> of getting your data harvested,
0: which and, is very weird. And it's essentially amounts to extortion because these apps that you're using in some cases yeah. are critical. They're critical to your business. They're, they're like, if you can't text message without paying a subscription, um, then what's to stop the, the the service provider from just extorting you and being like, you know, if you don't pay up, all your data is gonna vanish. Um, And that wouldn't happen in, we'll call it, you know, a a free market, but these are increasingly becoming consolidated into a couple of large companies that are effectively acting as, as uh, oligarchs and colluding to raise prices at, at, on a whim. And you're screwed. There's nothing you can do about it. They have you by the balls. Um, We are your escape hatch.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Now is there, is there a universe that you see where like once people start pivoting towards your guys' approach and to the sovereign approach, once these big giants start losing revenue that they try to pivot, to try to align themselves with yours? Do you ever see that universe happening? Or is it, they're too deep Never. in?
0: Never, they're too deep in. Yeah, they, This is why revolution, technological revolutions happen and why startups eat incumbents uh, over periods of decades is because the incumbents get so big and so slow and so ingrained in their ways that you can't just, you if you're Google, you can't just pivot your business model, yeah. right? They can't just suddenly decide to not be intermediaries and custodians of data and instead sell sovereign technology that allows people to be, you know, independent of them. It is like, it's like what I just said is blasphemy. Yeah. If they don't even brought that up at Google, they'd be shot on the spot Yeah, uh, because their entire reason of existence is to implant themselves as firmly into your life as they possibly can. Um, they're they're trained middlemen. It's what they do. It's their nature. It's their identity. So the only people and companies that are uh, competitors to us uh, would be other similar startups um, that are trying to tear down the incumbents.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Let's circle back over to how you guys started building this uh, when you first approached it. Now, does this, this start, uh, personal server, does it start hardware first followed by OS or did you guys design an OS and then think about the hardware second?
0: OS first. We we are, that is what we do. We are not a hardware team. We don't even build services, really. I mean, we've built a couple, um, but services as in apps, right? So you ha- you basically have, a, a, this, the stack of computing is hardware at the base, yeah and you have an operating system, then you have things that you run on that operating system. If it's a client device, um, we generally call those things apps. If it is a a server, then we generally call them services. Um, But roughly they're the same thing. They are uh, software that is running on an operating system. The human is the fourth piece. And the operating system is basically what ties all of this together. So you have hardware, software, and human, and the operating system is sitting between these three entities, making sure that they're all playing nice together, that the human can use the apps that are running on the hardware. That's what the operating system does. And so that's where we exist. We are the glue that makes any computing model possible, which is the operating system. If you look back, um, that's what Apple did, that's what Microsoft did, is they invented operating systems that made utilizing personal computer hardware and applications easier for a human. That's what they did. And they built some of the largest companies the world has ever seen on that backbone. Um, We are doing something similar in that we're inventing an operating system that connects hardware to services instead of apps uh, to a human such that any human can run their own personal server. So what they did for personal computers, we're doing for personal servers, It's not that crazy, Um, but that's what we do. And ultimately we need to be compatible with just about every piece of hardware under the sun Um, because our technology, our operating system, um, especially given our capital limitations, you know, we're not Apple. We don't have billions of dollars sitting in the bank. We can't just come up with some new hardware device and sell it all over the world cheaply. Um, We need people to be able to repurpose Devices that they already have, devices that Apple made or Microsoft made or Google <laughs> made, for uh, our operating system and computing paradigm. In other words, we can hijack um, the world's hardware infrastructure as a um, you know we'll call it a Trojan horse for our own uh, for our own model. We can undermine them using their own infrastructure.
1: And and the user could do that to this day, meaning like if I wanted to grab this MacBook that we're having this conversation on and I wanted to install Embassy, I can do so. Or is there limitations
0: to that? There's definitely limitations. They will become less and less. Apple will be actually one of the harder uh, existing com- com- hardware systems to make compatible with ours because Apple is so locked down and draconian about... Uh, hardware and software integration. It's very hard to run alternative software on Apple devices, but all the other ones are really easy. Basically, anything that is running an open OS or even Windows, um, we can hijack those, those fairly easily. And in the next release of Embassy OS, which is expected in the month of November, um, you will be able to download Embassy OS uh, either in source code form or binary form, and basically, convert your laptop, or desktop, or a mini PC, or Raspberry Pi into an embassy uh, for free, without ever doing business with us. Um, you know, we, we, we truly can't stop that, even if we wanted to, uh, by the very nature of the way we've built the business and uh, adhering to you know uh, taking a principled approach to um, you know creating source available and software that is free for individuals to use, uh, we can't stop you from doing that. Nor do we want.
1: And uh, so this is maybe a a sensitive question, maybe not. But so how does you and your team actually scale the business if you're basically saying you can just take this for free and run with it? Um, I mean, I know you have hardware, and we'll get into that here shortly. um, But is, is that a scalable solution, or are you guys not worried about the scale and you're worried
0: about... Uh, revolutionary technology more than that. So the primary motivation of myself and everybody at Start9 um, is to create a disintermediated computing paradigm for ourselves, for our children, and for the future of the human race. That is very legitimately our essential goal. We believe that if we are principled in that approach, and creative in ways to involve ourselves that are non-mandatory, that that will be rewarded with healthy profits, um, not monopolistic profits. We are not here be the next apple nobody should be as big as apple it shouldn't (laughs) happen not suggesting that government regulate businesses and keep them small because we all know that that just ends up being the highest bidder gets to be the monopoly that doesn't work what i'm saying is is that we should have technologies and product paradigms that make competition um essential that that you know that are difficult to corner. And so we think we can make a lot of money. We do not believe we will ever be uh, as big as, as Apple, and nor do we care. Um, and so the way that we intend to make money the way that we have been making money since day one, by the way, because the, on the first day that we announced ourselves to the world and our existence is the day we sold our first device. We are not a talk about it and then figure out how to make money later. We're not about building a user base and then figuring out how to squeeze them once we've trapped them. Our goal is a good old fashioned, we build a product and we sell it and then it's yours and we're out of the loop. Um, And so that is our our essential uh, revenue model right now is that we make getting up and running with our operating system, uh, uh, you know, push button. Um, yeah. Zero configuration, plug it in, uh, plug and play, one and done, and you're out. That's, that's what we do is we sell convenience, essentially. So you can, um, as an individual, a- after the next release of RS, especially, grab your old Windows laptop and um, probably an hour later have it running an embassy. We also know that the vast majority of people in this world uh, will not do that. We also know that many of the people in this world who would do that still want to buy the latest greatest coolest official thing that also comes with us by the way right you're you're sort of joining the community in a sense when you buy something from us you you know we put a little code on the device that increasingly over time will get you access to cool stuff, right? Like exclusive content, uh, white glove support. We can bootstrap you with a clearnet URL so that you don't have to go get your own domain. You'll get like a, you know, uh, mat.start9.app domain that you can immediately fire up your Bitcoin node on and stuff like that. Um, We can give you, you know, discounts on future purchases. We can give you a ticket to our annual conference all of this for free if you buy the device from us, right? Like we can essentially monetize um, community and support and convenience rather than um, the software itself or uh, any kind of subscription uh, recurring model. Um, but we can also put like a end life on that, meaning if you buy a device from us, you'll get like six months of you know, these special perks and premier benefits and blah, blah, blah. And if it expires, your device will keep working. Your data is still yours. There's no problem with it expiring, but you might like this. It's like being an Amazon Prime member. You might really enjoy having this annual subscription to be part of our community and get all these perks and benefits. Um, so that is really long-term how we intend to, You know, we'll call it recurring revenue from the same customer in addition to just selling more hardware, right? Because where our business model really starts to make sense is when you start thinking about computers outside of the context of laptops, desktops, cell phones, and servers. There's this whole other category of computers that are actually, I don't know, 50 times as many devices as the four that I just named in the form of Cameras, thermostats, doorbells, vacuum cleaners, humanoid robots. (laughs) The future is riddled with intelligent devices. And either those intelligent devices are going to be servant remote controls that are plugging into the Google mothership, where literally you are surrounded by physical metal things that you don't control and don't belong to you. Or you can have all of those same devices be legitimate personal servants of yours that are all connected on a private network serving you and only you and your family. We don't think anyone in the human species is opting for the former that I just described there. We think everyone wants to be over here. You don't want the robots in your life serving Google and you're paying a subscription for it. They should belong to you fully and they will never be able to offer that future we can and and i mean that without even making the hardware right there are people in this world who make cameras so our job as a company is to find those camera manufacturers and say make a camera (laughs) that is compatible with our os right we'll white label it we'll call it the start 9 cam we'll pay you a royalty for every device sold or we'll buy them wholesale at you know, 40% off and then sell them retail at the full price. So our our essential business model is basically what Costco does with Kirkland Signature. Are you familiar with Costco? I am but not with Kirkland Signatures, what's that? Kirkland Signature is Costco's brand. Okay, okay. I see. So Costco is like the store in the company right. but if you shop in Costco on the shelf, there's like, you could buy water that is sure. Arizona water, or you can buy Kirkland Signature water. Yeah. And when you buy Kirkland Signature anything, you know that you are actually getting something else with a different label on it. So when I buy Kirkland Signature water, I'm, I'm probably getting Arizona water or some other kind of water. Sure. That Costco has gone to that company, cut a deal and said, look, We have scoured the world for the best water there is. And we think yours is the best water there is. So we would like to buy 10 billion units of your water at a severe discount. We'll pay up front for it. Even we're going to buy a ton of your water. We're then going to put our label on it. We're going to take your label off. We're going to put our label on and then sell it out of our stores with Kirkland Signature on the label at a markup. It's arguably the coolest and best business model. Sure. I, I love it because they're not making anything. Yeah, What they're doing is they're essentially staking their reputation on their ability to identify the best of breed of any product. In other words, the people who bring the most value to Costco are the, are the whoever they hire to go out there and find the best thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to go find the best router ever made. Right? We're going to find the best router on the market and we're going to buy a shit ton of them at wholesale, put our label on it and then sell it in such a way that it is immediately plug and play compatible with our entire operating system and ecosystem of other devices. So for instance, let's say you're a person and it's time for you to get a new router and you're like, Oh my God, there's like 10 million routers out there. Which one do I get? but you're already running a start nine embassy personal server on your shelf. And you know who we are and you know what we do and how we work and we know what we're talking about. So which router are you going to buy? You're going to go scour the market for a hundred different routers comparing ratings, or are you going to buy our router because you plug it into the wall and it immediately starts playing happily with your personal server and it plugs right into your premium subscription that you already have with us for white glove support, meaning you call and we're there to help you set it up and do whatever. So yeah, it's very long winded answer. I know. Um, but it's a weird crack in the wall. It's not a simple, like we make money by locking people in and charging them subscriptions. It's just not that simple. Um, we are going to make money by building a technological ecosystem that has us involved voluntarily because we make it more convenient for you.
1: Yeah. An, e- an ecosystem that serves you doesn't serve, you know, it doesn't work against you, basically. That makes a ton of sense. I never thought about that example. And you could go down the list from, like, home speakers to, like, the watches we wear to all that. Yes. And they go all, like, just speak to the embassy suite OS yeah. and respect your privacy. Do it the right way. Yeah.
0: but still and, have all the cool features that we're used to. And you Amazing. don't have to, you don't have to, right? So it's like, right. we will openly say, look, just like we do now, you can go get your own Raspberry Pi and SSD and do this and download our software and run it. Yeah. If you just want it to work out of the box and you want the team to have your back and you want to be a part of the community and support the work that we do, buy it. We're not sound like we're gouging you. We're not charging triple what you could do for it elsewhere. If anything, we're cutting costs. The Embassy Pro, that we just, I don't know if you saw, we just did a uh, promotional video for it a couple of days ago. We just, I did. I got my I eye like, on that thing. I'll be, I'll be ordering okay. one of those. <laughs> so, the Embassy Pro um, is a white-labeled Libra Mini. Okay. okay. So, it literally, we're already doing the business model I just described. We don't make the Embassy Pro. Yep. Purism does. Purism is a fantastic hardware company and they make a wonderful device called the Libra Mini. And the Libra Mini is, you know, it's powerful, it's fast. It is the Embassy Pro. We've done nothing to it except add a speaker. That's the only thing we did to the Libra Mini is we put a speaker inside of it so that the Embassy could make the noises that it needs to make to tell you what's what's happening. Sure. But if you go onto Purism's website and you build a Libra Mini to the exact specification that we are selling the Embassy Pro for, it's more expensive. Hmm. So in this case it's actually cheaper for you to buy the device from us than to go out onto the open market and buy it and then install our software. We're actually saving you money by doing business with us, Um, which again is exactly what Costco does. It is cheaper to buy Costco's white labeled Crown Royal than to buy Crown Royal. And that's because they've gone to Crown Royal and bought a billion units of it. And got it at a huge discount. And then they actually undercut the pricing of the very product that they've purchased with their own label on it, of course. So anyway, that's what we did. And, um, they're selling like cakes. We're selling a ton of embassy pros. It's great.
1: No, yeah. They're amazing. Uh, that cost continues to intensify if you order before November 20th.
0: That's right. (laughs) Yeah. We do have to bump the cost because we're not making enough money, uh, on yeah. the devices right now. Like I said, we are undercutting the actual, like what these yeah. sell uh, normally. And that's because we need to, you know, you gotta, you gotta get the buzz going. We gotta get it into the hands of people so that they can talk about it and say how cool it is so that other people will buy it at full price.
1: Right, so for the, let, let's go into the the hardware or just, you know, let's go from the purchase process all the way into getting one of these at home and setting it up. So. You order on your website, you receive yeah. this device, take it away. What, what does the user expect? Uh, you'll
0: you'll get the device in a few days, yep. depending on where you live. Um, we ship pretty quickly once, once ordered. And uh, you, it's going to come in a nice, beautiful little box. Take it out. Uh, you plug it into your router and into the wall. So it basically needs power and internet. So yep. ethernet plugs into your router, power goes into the wall and then you pop open your laptop or desktop or cell phone and visit uh, embassy.local. So you'll just open any browser, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, whatever, and visit embassy.local. And you will now be from your phone or laptop connected to this device that's sitting on your shelf next to your router. Um, And about, I don't know, 30 seconds later, 30 seconds to a minute later, you're you're set up. Basically all you have to do on embassy.local is set a password. You basically have to tell the device who its master is, being defined by whoever has the password to it. Um, So you set a password, and then that password gets handed over to the device, um, and then the device will reboot, and you'll be able to now visit it um, at two different addresses. So one address is for when you're home, The other address is for when you're on the go. So it's very easy to remember basically when you're home and connected to the same internet, the same Wi-Fi network as your embassy, you visit its .local address from any browser. So you open up Firefox, Chrome, whatever, and you type in something.local. It'll be a unique address. It's not embassy.local. That's only for initial setup. Once it's set up, your device gets a unique address, you visit it and you're in. It's basically a website. It's a personal website that allows you to manage this device. Um, and it looks and feels like, you know, any any operating system. So you'll go to your, your embassy's unique URL and it'll feel like, I don't know, Mac OS or Windows or something. It'll just feel like you're vi- using a computer. If you're on the go, if you leave the home, You can't use the .local address because you're no longer connected to the same network. So instead, you use the .onion address such that you can communicate with your embassy from anywhere in the world um, over the darknet, over the Tor network, um, such that it is private, anonymous, uh, censorship resistant. You can talk to the device in your home from the other side of the world without anyone Uh, even knowing that that conversation between you and your device is taking place. Um, So that's it. So when you're home, it's .local. When you're on the go, it's .onion. And uh, soon we will be offering uh, ClearNet support as well. So you'll be able to put your uh, device on like a domain that you control, you know, like matthill.net. And now you can go anywhere in the world, open up a browser, type in matthill.net and you will be talking directly to the device uh, in your home. Um, so that's coming soon and makes it a lot easier. And it also um, opens up use cases for businesses and organizations such that I'll be able to host like websites uh, and blogs. Uh, I could even do like video conferencing, all of it on a clear net domain through a device in my home. So more and more, we are going to feel like a regular internet thing. It's not at all, but it's going to increasingly feel like that. For example, let's say I am a um, business owner or organization head. Uh, you know, I run some, a church, let's use a church as an example. So I, I would say I'm a, you know, the pastor at a church. I'm the head of the church and I want all my congregation members to be able to Share files and talk to each other, and basically engage as a community, but not on a Discord server or a Telegram server or a Google server. I want everyone to be able to talk as a community on a community server that I myself have in in the office. Yeah, it's going to be very hard for me to go to that congregation and tell everyone to download the Tor browser and visit a .onion URL in right. order to chat with each other on the darknet. Everyone's going to, you know, (laughs) they just won't do it. But it's very easy for me to go to that same congregation and say, hey, everyone, go to community.churchofchrist.com, create your username and email, you know, your uh, username password, and you're plugged into the church community talking with everybody and doing this. Oh, and by the way they're all out of the loop. This is like our community talking on a personal server. It's totally private. Nobody can stop us. It's us the way it should be. That is something people can get on board with and that we will have available within the next couple of months.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And how does, um uh, like, I guess, how does data work in that situation? Meaning that are you, or is your device needing to store and capture all of these messages or is it the receiver and the sender's devices that are storing the data? How how does that situation work out?
0: It's a great question. Um, So servers basically serve two purposes. Um, One is they are the, the relay of information, okay? So my phone and your phone can't talk to each other. My laptop and your desktop can't talk to each other, at least not by default. There are ways of connecting devices peer to peer and they're really effective and we're gonna be implementing some of them. But when you have this thing in the cloud, literally called the cloud, that's why it became known as is like servers are clouds, right? They, they're always on, they store data, they act as a relay. That way, if your computer goes offline, let's say you're driving through a tunnel, the whole thing doesn't break. The server is still running. So that way when you get out of the other side of the tunnel, Our conversation just resumes, whereas it couldn't do that if we were connected peer-to-peer. So in other words, you want a third party. You want a server, which is a third party. It's just you want it to be yourself. You want to be your own third party, right? So servers are relays of information. So rather than me and you talking to each other, me and you are talking to each other through a server. This is better than me and you talking to each other because this thing can again, keep channels open, it can store data, it can cache things, it can ping me when you go offline. If you go offline, you can't ping me to tell me that. Right. You have no internet. You can't tell me anything. The server can tell me that you went offline. So servers are really important. Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing they do really is store data. So they are relays of information and storage houses of data. And so in the example that I gave about the church, The the server in the pastor's office, if congregation member A and congregation member B are engaged in a text messages back and forth, I'm not talking about their private text messages, they can have their own server for that. I'm talking about on the church forums. Those signals, the physical electrical signals are being bounced from A's phone to the server in the pastor's office to B's phone, which puts the pastor in an interesting position because the pastor, technically, whoever has access to the server, is the new Google in this scenario. They can censor people, <laughs> they can spy <laughs> on people, right? Now, a lot of these technologies are end-to-end encrypted, meaning the pastor might not be able to like, see exactly what you're saying to each other, but the pastor could absolutely do analytics, could be like, oh, this person and this person are chatting right now. There's just the nature of it. So that's not necessarily something they would want to do. I'm just saying that it's an interesting consequence of of this example is like, whoever operates the server is the master. Everyone else is a renter of that land, of that property. There's a reason we called it an embassy, right? It's because an embassy is, is sovereign territory, in somebody else's land. And in this case, someone else's land is the internet at large, right? When you have an embassy, it's not like a cloaking device for the internet. It's not like you put some hood on and now you're walking around the internet privately. The embassy is an alternative to it. It's your own territory. You're not even, you don't, in other words, you don't even need to be private in your own embassy because it itself is completely dark. It's completely independent of the broader territory. So what we hope will happen in scenarios like this is that, you know, the pastor's running a server for the entire congregation, but then members of the congregation are like, Ooh, I want one of those for my family. I'm going to be <laughs> the I'll own the embassy for my family and I'll be the administrator so that I can, you know, not control, but, but manage my children's, uh, you know, access and communications because they're nine years old. And I want them to be able to text message, but I don't want Google spying on them type of stuff. Right? right. Then those kids, when they grow up are like, screw my dad, he's an authoritarian guy who censors me. I'm going to get my own embassy, not only not for my family, but for myself, I'm going to get a personal server, that I and I alone utilize to relay communications and access things around the world. So in other words, everyone can have a personal server, but we actually think the path to everyone having a personal server is starting with community leaders, moving to family leaders, moving to individuals. that makes a ton of I, don't even, I don't even remember what you originally asked me.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad you went there though, because cool. uh, <laughs> the question was uh, storage related. So like, when does that become a problem? Does yeah. it ever become a problem? I mean, me personally, I'm a big corner. I'm obviously going to run a node. I'm going to have the blockchain. Um, so it is two terabytes, good amount to do what most people would want to do? And is there expandable storage? I guess along those questions is what I'm asking.
0: Very practical questions. Yes. Sorry, I tend to get into the clouds just because I love it,
1: man. Now you keep burping, man. I love it.
0: (laughs) We we also are very practical and technical around here. So I can answer these questions. I promise. Um, All right. So in terms of, of storage limitations. Um, Two terabytes is what the embassy pro comes with. And two terabytes is a lot of data. So for instance, if you um, use Google drive, I believe they give you like 10 gigabytes for free. Right. So a terabyte is a thousand gigabytes. Um, So it's a lot. (laughs) Uh, You can store a lot on two terabytes of storage space. Uh, I believe a, a full length movie is like nine gigabytes. So you could store you know, what is that? um, 200 movies on two terabytes of data. Uh, Why you would want to do that, I don't know. The point is that it's just, it's a lot of storage space. Um, Now, in the church example, they're probably not running a Bitcoin node. Um, You can also run a pruned Bitcoin node, which uses approximately zero storage space. I mean, the mempool, uh, you know, the UTXO set is going to use somewhere in the range of like 10 gigabytes, I don't remember, but it's very minimal. Um. So it's a lot, but we also recognize that some people's data needs are, are fairly massive, whether it's video content or man, it'd be a lot of text content to fill up two terabytes, but it, it can be done and will be done. And so we are working on a, a feature that should be next year uh, that will allow you to expand the storage. So you'll be able to, take the pro. And if you're starting to run low on storage, you go get a two terabyte SSD, plug it in. uh, You'll click a couple buttons and it'll create like a single massive logical volume out of those two uh, distinct drives. Um, So, so it is something we've thought about and can do. We just haven't seen it as a super urgent thing um, because if you're doing Bitcoin stuff, uh, one terabyte is actually plenty for the next few years. Um, you know, the blockchain and UTXO sets and indexes and all of that aren't going to exceed a terabyte for, I don't think another five or six years. Uh, plus, like I said, you can run pruned very easily on our device, which makes it uh, usable almost indefinitely. Uh, like you'll never use a terabyte of data if you are taking uh, a pruned approach to your Bitcoin stack. Um, and uh, yeah,
1: yeah no that's I'm glad to hear that the updates are coming soon for that. That was only my big concern. prune is you're right on that that I didn't even think about running a prune. That could definitely clear some space, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's great. so um, uh, my next few questions uh well, I got one question Bitcoin related, and it's basically um, were you guys interested? I know you may have been interested personally, but as as a business, were you interested in Bitcoin and running a Bitcoin node while you were creating this or did that just happen somewhere down the road where it just made sense to do so Oh well, that's how it started
0: okay so this whole thing started with Bitcoin and lightning actually more specifically so um, the the TldR origin story of start nine is that um, I basically set out to set up my lightning node because uh, one of my co-founders Keegan McClelland at the time uh, had already set up his, and this was fairly early in the lightning production live, you know, world, this was uh, 2019. And uh, you know, it had been out, but it wasn't what it is today. And so I went to go set up my node to play with it, to see what it was like and to, you know, do some transactions with Keegan. And um, I set up, when I set out to do that, I was like, Oh boy, you know, like, I'm I'm a technical guy. I can you know I can I can hack my way through pretty much anything. And I was like, this is going to take me all weekend at minimum. Yeah. Uh, to get up and running. And as soon as I realized that, I was just like, how can the Lightning Network ever, you know, be a viable network if people aren't running their own nodes? And if running your own node is this hard for a technical person, then It's a non-starter for a non-technical person. Um, This was also around the time when Casa had released their node and was just about to release lightning support so that your Casa node would sort of out of the box be a lightning node, a Bitcoin and lightning node. And so we um, did some research and saw how they were doing what they were doing and recognized two things. One is that they were taking a very um, early stage, fragile kind of naive approach to solving it. As in they had a piece of hardware that was just like pre-install stuff on it right. so that the user can plug it in and it'll work. And we were like, that's a great way to get bootstrapped and up and running, but it does nothing for the user's ability to actually like manage these server services under the hood. Uh, if you have to do anything at all, you're basically, you know, opening up the command line, you know, using SSH to get onto the box and then typing commands and nobody's gonna do that. So one is we saw an opportunity to do it in a sustainable, scalable way, as opposed to this like simple kind of, you know, MVP way. And two was we realized pretty quickly that if you could build a sustainable, scalable way to manage, to give the user the ability to manage a Bitcoin node and a Lightning node, that you could apply that same piece of technology to manage basically any piece of open source software under the sun, which would be a massive breakthrough, which is what I talk a lot about now, which is just unleashing open source software on the, on the non-technical general population. Um, and so what we did was we went and talked with Jameson Lopp and Nick Newman Um, Nick at the time was the head of product and Jameson was the CTO of Casa and we scheduled a dinner with them when they were in town and Keegan and I went and talked with them and wanted to pick their brains on kind of how they thought the Casa product was going to evolve, what their plans were for, uh, expanding the base functionality to be more general, um, what their plans for with hardware were the uh, same questions you were asking me, how they plan to make money. And and what we got in response was a pretty heavy lack of enthusiasm about the entire conversation. <laughs> they, they didn't seem very interested in their own product and its future. They were very passive about it. Not because we they were holding back, very soon after this meeting, we found out why, which is that they discontinued the product. Hmm. They got out of this game altogether. They they decided not to pursue the node slash server product as a line of business at all. They went full software, um, you know, uh, multi-signature, uh, you know, basically security as a service. Uh, approach. And they run a great business and they're both great people, but they were not interested in pursuing as a business, the thing that we were interested in pursuing. And at the time, really during this dinner, we, we weren't just picking their brains. We were putting out pretty, pretty obvious hints that if they were planning to continue this and in a way that we thought was good, that we would actually like come help. Sure. We weren't looking to compete with them that's not our first thought. We wanted to see this technology come to life. So we sought the people who seemed to be at the forefront of it and basically were like, how can we help? <laughs> you, you know, Do you guys need help with this? And again, they were not interested. So once we realized that they weren't gonna pursue it, we picked up the torch. Um, we said, we'll do it because nobody else was. And yeah. definitely nobody else who we thought was more competent than us to do it was doing it. So we took it on. Um, from the get-go with the big picture in mind. Like we didn't take it on from the get-go as a Bitcoin and Lightning node, even though that was what sparked the interest in the first place. Um, We have always from day one been building with a whole new computing paradigm in mind where trusted third parties would not be involved in an average person's computing life.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, you, you were showing off or Marty was showing off the other day the, uh, the ghost implementation for bloggers and censorship was distant. Um, yeah. And I think you guys sticking it out, even though, like you said, in the very beginning, it was just Bitcoin and Lightning Node, which now if you think about it, you got Umbro, you got a few different versions of those type of implementations. You guys took it to the next level and thought about the bigger picture, which is this works for this, but it's more important if it does that. Uh with just, you know, the whole sovereign oh, thing. And I appreciate you guys for that. It's amazing. All of those, all of those other
0: projects, um, yeah. which we generally support, by the way, it's it's good. The more Bitcoin and Lightning nodes that are people are running in a sovereign way, the better. Yeah. Um, but they all took the same basic approach that Casa had taken from the get-go. They're all um, the bootstrapping products. Their their essential goal is to get you up and running with Bitcoin, Lightning, other services, even non-Bitcoin and Lightning things in the case of Umbral, uh, as quickly as possible, right? To like basically be plug and play and you're up and running as quickly as possible. Um, beyond that, they do almost nothing. Um, anything that you need to do uh, on those devices past simply installing something and running it, you're, you just put on your, your, your hat open the command line SSH in and manage it. It's not a, um, it's not a realistic solution for mass market um, because the second anything needs to be changed or goes wrong, which is basically inevitable. Um, nobody's going to be able to to use it.
1: Right. Right. So um, can you name just maybe top five? I'm sure there's many, the top five, I think I saw them on your website too, Roland, the top five use cases that most people can use, uh, with an embassy uh, to basically use an open source version of their favorite tools. Yeah. Compared so it's Bitcoin, of course,
0: yeah, we were all- the most yeah. obvious to are Bitcoin and lightning. Yeah. This is to take full control over your, your money, uh, yeah. full custody and control over uh, your own, your own money. Um, another one is vault warden. Vault warden is the open source, uh, or I should say, since the other one's open source too, this the self-hostable equivalent of Bitwarden. Bitwarden is a password manager. Uh, most people who use password managers, I think use LastPass or 1Password. Same thing, I actually like Bitwarden better than LastPass and 1Password, I've used them all. Bitwarden has a wonderful interface, easy browser extensions, um, and on Embassy, you can self-host Bitwarden. It's called Vaultwarden. And so that way you or you plus your business or family can all self-host your own passwords on your own device, which you can then autofill into the browser from anywhere in the world. There's no third parties involved. Vault Warden is the number one service on our marketplace, uh, aside from Bitcoin. It's more popular than Lightning, and it is a, a very close second to Bitcoin. Basically, wow. it's just as popular as Bitcoin. It's a very, very cool service. Um, another one is Ghost. Ghost is your blogging platform. It allows you as an individual to host a blog for people to read, basically just to, to run a blog um, that is private if you want it to be, censor, uh, anonymous if you want it to be, and completely censorship resistant. So um, you say whatever you want <laughs> and uh, nobody can nobody can stop it. Nobody even knows that it's you if you want to do it anonymously. Um, so ghost is, is a way to self-host a blog. Um, we have synapse, which is a, uh, matrix server. Matrix is basically, um, Slack plus telegram. It's a plus WhatsApp, right? It's a, it's a group chat. It's a group chat application, um, that has mobile apps for iOS and Android. It has desktop apps. You can use it in the web. And in this case, you can chat one-on-one or have rooms, again, nothing special here. It's just like any other group chat app you've ever used, except all of the data and communications are flowing through and stored on uh, the device in your home. So not only is it private, it is uh, dark. Uh, These conversations are inherently private. Boy, there's so many cool ones. I don't know why I'm blanking on this right now.
1: Uh, no, those are great, right there. I think
0: that's probably the top downloaded ones, but um, I'm gonna regret not saying one of them because <laughs> there's like thirty something on the store now. Yeah, uh, I'm losing track. It's it's getting a lot. So yeah. No,
1: that's a great, that's great. Uh, we're coming up on now. We're here, Matt. So please let the listeners know where they can pick up the new embassy pro or where they can get more information uh, if they're curious and anywhere else you want to send them.
0: Um, it's all there on start Um If you hit the contact or community page and join our telegram or matrix chats, we have chats uh, in both of those places. You'll get a feel for the community and the kind of support that we provide it's a huge value add of start nine is that you're getting us. with with this technology and with this product. We know it can be intimidating. Um, We think we've done a great job making it easy and convenient to use, but you're still going to have questions and we're here to answer them. So join the community chats if you're interested in uh, seeing what we're all about and learning more. Uh, The Embassy Pro, as you mentioned, is on pre-sale until November 20th. So it's 10 days from now. Uh, We are going to bump the price to full price. It's not that we'll never run another sale again, I'm sure we will, but um, the pre-sale is over in 10 days and it's $400 off what it's going to be. So it's $14.99 if you get it now, it goes to $18.99 on the 20th. Um, And then we also sell an Embassy One, which was not mentioned here. The Pro is our like big bad supercomputer. The Embassy One is an awesome device that is perfectly adequate for an individual or even a small family. Uh, You know, a family of four or five could easily, easily satisfy all their computing needs and communication and data needs on an Embassy One, which is uh, a lot cheaper. So the Embassy One is 450 for a one terabyte, 550 for a two terabyte, don't quote me exactly on those prices. Um, And again, I've been running an Embassy One for two and a half years now, and it has been perfectly adequate for me and my wife um so you don't have to get the big bad pro you can get a much lower entry level device and it still works great
1: awesome any uh, socials that you want to send them to or is it all there on the website everything's on the website yeah start9.com will get you, tell you what you need to know and send you where you need to go amazing yeah so folks i appreciate you matt Thanks. go out there support start9 Check out the community. Check out the embassy. I'm thinking about getting the pro. I most likely am. You guys go ahead and do that. This has been a fascinating conversation, Matt. I really appreciate your time. Um, and I've learned so much. Uh, I you know, I, I thought I knew some stuff because I had my own node. I don't know anything. And I'm learning now. And it's fun.
0: <laughs> I appreciate you having me on and giving me the platform. Uh, education and awareness are, you know, we die without them. So uh, we need stuff like this. So thank you. Absolutely. All right. This wraps up
1: another episode, guys. Appreciate you guys as always. You know where to find us. Value for Value is the best way to support the show. You can check us out on all podcasting 2.0 apps. Fountain and Breeze seems to be our favorite because they're the easiest to on-ramp onto. So check us out on that. If you want this 4K content, you can check us out on Bitcoin TV. We want to support the Bitcoin standard of media. That's what we're about here at Talking of Bits. If you happen to find yourself still on the legacy outlets, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Get the hell out of there. We don't want to be playing ball with those algorithms. But if you're there, rate, share, and subscribe. That seems to tickle the algorithm It likes that. And we'll float up and get some signal out there. We appreciate y'all as always. And we'll catch y'all next week. Later.